Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I come from the Mesa country of, of West Texas, and if you don't know what a Mesa is, Mesa is table in Spanish. And basically there are these, you know, what we would refer to here as hills, but in Texas, you know, they're considered mountains, and they they go at a pretty good angle, and then there's like what we call rim rock, which is anywhere from at a, at a narrow place, it's only about two two feet thick to like 20 feet thick and it's just solid rock that goes straight up and we were working on a ranch and and i had never worked this ranch before and i was riding a buddy of mine's horse he said hey man uh my i can't remember the name of the horse he was a bay horse he said hey man my horse needs some miles put on it will you, will you ride will you ride this horse for me so i was like yeah I'll ride your horse for you and so anyway we get up there to this ranch i've never been there before we spent the night out there so get up and everything, and we we go to getting ready, and anyway, I saddle up, and the boss comes riding up, and he goes, you know what? I'm going to take the long, long, long way around in the pickup, so we'll have the pickup there. Will you lead my horse? Well, I was on this horse that needed a lot of miles anyway, and I was like, sure. So he hands me not not a lead rope, the reins. Okay, so you know it's not like you have ten feet. You know, I had like this much and everything. So I took the horse, which was just right here beside me, and I go to ride off. Well, my horse don't like it that there's another horse's nose right by his tail. And so for the next three hours on our ride up this mountain, my horse ran like this. No matter what I did, he just went like that. And so anyway, we're following the rancher's granddaughter, okay? They said there's only one way up this mountain. And if you don't know where it is, you'll ride forever trying to get up on this mesa because of what I told you about, about the rim rock. The rim rock just went all around, and I mean, this was a huge, huge mesa. It might not have been the Grand Mesa, but it was big. And so anyway, we're riding along and, you know, everybody else is kind of at a nice little trot and my horse is trotting sideways because he doesn't like the other horse right behind it and he tries to kick him and, and it's just, it's a wreck from the get-go. And so we're going along and everything and we start getting close to this mountain and I'm looking and I don't see nowhere that we're getting up. And so anyway, we're going along and finally the granddaughter stops and she's just like right there where the mountain starts. Granddaughter stops, she turns around and she goes, y'all ready? And I'm looking around like, for what? Is a helicopter going to come get us? Because I don't see no way up this thing. And my dad, who'd been up there before, he turns around and he grins at me. He's like, you ready? I'm like, for what? And so anyway, she rides through a tree. I'm not joking. Now, now, when I say tree, it's more like a mesquite bush. Yeah, that's a, that's a tree in West Texas. But anyway, it, it, it had grown like this, and she literally went through it. It's kind of like those, those movies that you see where the, the hidden entrance is behind the waterfall. That's the way this was. But you couldn't see anything till you got through the tree. And so anyway, the, the granddaughter goes through the tree, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then Dad goes through the tree, and then I try to go through the tree sideways. And I get kind of hung up and everything like that, and I turn my horse around, and I get this hand way out here like this so he's not right behind it. And anyway, I smoosh my horse through the tree, and we come, we go through this tree, and sure enough, there's a trail. Sure enough, it went straight up. And so I'm already leaning back because I'm trying to give this other horse as much room as I can. Well, I got through. Is the mic still on? 
Oh, okay. Kind of acted like it went dead. And so, anyway, I went through, and my other horse didn't want to go through, so we kind of stalled there for a second, and then he come through the waterfall of the tree, and everything, and we went straight up this thing, single file. And, I mean, it was all these both horses could do. And so I just basically gave him all the reins I had, grabbed a hold of the saddle horn, and was basically laying on my butt. We were like reverse snowy river. We got up to the top, and my dad was standing there, and he's looking at me. He goes, that was fun, wasn't it? And I said, don't you ever do that to me again. Today, we're going to talk about another narrow trail. In Matthew 7.13, in Matthew 7.13, Jesus says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very, very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. And, and you know, that that's a lot about heaven and hell and, and everything like that. And, and I've been accused before of, oh, you're a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Well, you must not have ever seen a hellfire and brimstone preacher if you think that's me. But you know what? I'm not, I'm not really going to focus on the hell part because I like to focus on, on, on the heaven part because isn't that why we're all here? See, we've been talking about the story of grace. Now, what is grace for those of that haven't been here? You know, I, I think that we can sum up grace by saying that, that it's something for nothing. It's something that we didn't deserve, yet we received. It's something that we cannot earn, yet it's given to us. And it's something that we cannot pay back, yet we have it. See, that's grace. And everything in the New Testament after, after Jesus dies, and He dies on a cross, and then three days later, He's raised from the dead. He said right before, on His last night here on earth, He said, this is the blood that will be shed for me. This is my body that will be broken. This is the new covenant. And yet, here He is, even before He dies, He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway of life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Let's talk about that verse. It says the gate, and, and I'm just going to be concentrating on verse 14. The gateway to life is very narrow. The gate to life is very narrow. And, and you know, the, the, way, the way I picture that, why, why does he talk about it being narrow? Because, you know what, a lot of us want to get to heaven, but we want to take all our toys with us, right? We, we, you got it. It's a single file gate. You can only walk through it on your own. And, and here, here's a, here's a kind of a sobering thought. You know, girls, heaven is not going to be like the bathroom where you got to go to the bathroom and everybody goes with you. Okay? What in the world? That was funny. You were the only one who was smiling. Thank you. <laughs> But anyway, what we do, we think, oh, well, you know, I, I'll just get my buddies to go with me and we'll all be there. And there. No, man, when, when we make that journey, you're going to absolutely be all by yourself except for another man that will be standing there waiting for you to come on in. See, we want to take everything with us. Isn't it absurd to an extent of what we, the kind of effort we put into our lives to get these things and to have those things and to, to make these things work, and yet when we die, it's just us that goes. We spend all of our life accumulating stuff that will either break, rust, or perish. The road is the gate is narrow because it's only a single file. Just like that trail up, there was literally, it went between rocks. You could not go side by side up that trail. You had to go single file. You can only get through that gate single, and you can't take all your toys with you. But it says in verse 13, beware the wide gate that seems good. Beware the wide gate that seems good. You know what? I had uh, 
Ralph Hager that I always talk about. He was talking about catching wild cattle up in, in New Mexico and around the Lordsburg area. And he said that there was some canyons that had water in them. And the way that they would they would trap these cattle is they know that these cattle, that that's where they're watered. Well, they would build some type of fence deal. Now, I've never seen one of these things. I'm just describing what I was told. But it's like this gate deal that what they would do is they would build it, but they would leave the gate open. Okay, and it would have some brush on it where it kind of looked natural. You know, they he said they'd put branches in the gate and everything like that, but they would leave the gate open so that the cattle could go in and out. And then what would happen is they would come back the next week and they would close it a little more. But the cattle had been so used to that gate that they just go in and they still go out and they still go in and they still go out. And then what they do is the next week they'll go and they'll close it just enough where they can kind of nudge it open a little bit and they kind of have to squeeze through but they can still get in and out. And then what happens is they close it just wide enough that they can get their nose through and whenever they go through, the gate opens. But when it closes, they can't get back out. See, that's what the devil uses for us, and that's why it says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. See, that's what the devil does. It's a broad, open gate. Everything that we think we want is on that other side, and we just keep going in and out, in and out, in and out. But slowly, the devil's closing that gate. Slowly but surely. And, and here before too long, we, we stick our nose in there because, man, we got to go in there. we got to chase that sin, and we go in there, and then what's happening? We're trapped. Beware those wide things that seem so great because Jesus says that the gate is narrow and narrows the trail that leads to life. He also says that the road is difficult. What, what does it mean? I mean, honestly, okay, I'm going to ask a question here. Is li- and I don't want you to answer, okay, because I'm not really trying to lead you and sometimes I twist things around, not, not God's Word, but in, in the point that I'm trying to make, but is living the Christian life difficult to do? Is living the Christian life difficult to do? Now, see, some of you might be saying, yes, it's very, very difficult. And you know what? You're right. Some of you may be saying, no, it's not difficult at all. And I'm sorry to say that you're right, too. See, living a Christian life is very difficult, but it's very easy at the same time. And the only way I can describe it, and for y'all that have been here for a long time, y'all have heard me say this. If this is your first time here, um, this may be a a new concept to you. And um, maybe you're like, I don't know if I've, I've been coming here a while, but I don't know if this is for me or not. But hopefully I can describe how it is to live a Christian life with a simple illustration. Now, Ty's not here to hear this because he just freaks out, goes to slobbering every time I tell this story. But see, living the Christian life is like floating on your back in a swimming pool. Now, that's where Ty goes to getting itchy and, and, and gets all uncomfortable and everything. But think about it. Is floating on your back difficult? Well, yeah, it, it kind of is. It, it kind of is difficult because you have to relax so much. Any effort that you put in it is going to have the exact opposite effect. Floating on your back is the easiest thing in the world. I mean, you could sleep floating on your back, but you've got to be all out there. You've got to be wide open. You've got to be vulnerable. And that's why the Christian life that some people say it's easy, well, it is easy, absolutely effortless. See, God made us where we could float on our back, but too often what we do is we try to control that situation. And any time you try to control that situation, then you go to sinking. There's three things that you got to do 
in order to float on your back. And, and, and the Bible says that the road is difficult, and that's what I'm trying to explain, is why Jesus said that the road is difficult. It's not that it's hard. It's that it's difficult for us to do. Because the, one, the first thing you've got to do in order to float on your back is you've got to stay straight. You've got to stay straight. And, and I'm, that's not really a, a deal that, that... You know what happens when you put your butt down? and you're trying to float on your back, you will immediately sink. And and you know, there's a lot of us out there, and, and I'm the most guilty one of all that instead of staying straight, I walk through my I walk through life with my hiney leading the way. I mean we stick our we stick our butts into things that ain't none of our business, don't we? We we worry about what other people are doing. Jesus said, "Get the speck out of your own eye before you worry about the, or get the log out of your own eye before you worry about the speck in another's." I I find it absolutely absurd and flat out. I'm just going to say this: I find it offensive that Christians think that their spiritual gifts to point out the infallibilities in somebody else. Because to discover an imperfection in somebody else is to reveal the greatest one within yourself. So if you're going around under the guise of Christian saying, you know, well, you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do this, man, don't let me hear about it because I will come to you. Now, I know a lot of y'all professional Christians are saying, well, the Bible says to, you know, that you're supposed to help your brother out and point out your brother's sin. Absolutely. Let me tell you how you should do that. You should only point out a brother's sin after you have spent, I would say, months on your knees praying for that person. I would say that you can point out a brother's sin after you have shed tears because you love your brother so much that you see them going a different way. I would say that you should not point out another person's sin unless you are willing not only to point out the sin, but to pick them up and carry them and be there for them 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And if you are not willing to pray about it for months, if you don't love that person enough to shed tears over that person's sin and your your desire for them to, to be free from that, and if you're not willing to be there for them 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, then you know what you need to do? Keep your mouth shut. I don't know how to say it any plainer than that. We've got to stay straight. And what I mean by staying straight is I mean we've got to stay pointing straight up, whether you're laying on your back, I don't care, but we've got to stay straight in depending upon God and His mercy for everything. The second thing that you've got to do is you've got to relax. I mean, <laughs> here, here's another deal that, that Christians like to do is they're like, what can I do? What can I do? I've got to do something for God. I've got to do something for God. Hey, j- just relax. Just chill out. Because I can look back on my life, and you know what? I lived a life that was just so far from where God wanted me to be that as far as is from the east is from the west. But you know what? I can look back now and not making excuses for a single one of my behaviors. Not making excuses for a single one. But I can look back now and see God was working in my life even whenever I wasn't following Him. So if you have decided to Jesus Christ that you do want to follow Him, just relax. When He wants you to do something, He'll have you do it. If He's not asking you to do nothing, just drive on, cowboy. Just keep going. You know what? When you gather a pasture, there's times. I went and gathered cattle just the other day. There was 46 head in the pasture, and there was uh, one, two, three. There was four of us. I came up with all 46 head on the gathering, and then everybody came and helped me. But there's other times that I've been on a gathering, and I didn't see a single one until we got to the pens. 
You know what? When, when, you, when you ride with God, when you ride for Jesus, just relax. Quit threatening. I've got to do something. That's the, that's the American deal that, that if you're not doing something, you're not working hard, it ain't worth it. No, that's not the way Jesus works. Think about Mary and Martha. There was a time that there was these two sisters, and, and Mary, um, Jesus comes to their house, and, and, and Martha is in the kitchen, boy, she's whooping up some vittles, man. She's mashing some taters. I'm sure Jesus liked taters. And um, they're, they're doing all of this stuff. And, I mean, Martha is working her tail off. And her sister, you know what her sister was doing? Her sister was hanging out with Jesus. Her sister was just hanging out, just listening to him. You know, he wasn't going to be there very long, and she wasn't going to miss out on a second of it. And so Martha comes in, and she goes to whining and squabbling and saying, Hey, you know what, uh... Here's the deal. Uh, Jesus, you need to tell Mary to get up and come help me in the kitchen. And Jesus scolds her and Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is important. Have you chosen what is important? Relax. Quit worrying about whether you're a good Christian or a bad Christian or whether you're doing what God wants you to do or not doing what God wants you to do. Just love Him. That's it. That's all you've got to do. You don't have to worry and fret. As a matter of fact, if you, the more you try, the harder you try, you're going to sink. And then you're going to get water up your nose and, and just have to go to treading water, and then you're going to have to start all over. If you've accepted Jesus Christ or if you've asked Him into your heart and you said, I want to ride with Him, man, just relax. It really is that easy. Just relax. Stay straight. And here's the other thing. You gotta depend on His power, not yours. You gotta depend that, that He's not gonna let you sink. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know what, man? I'm pretty good at floating on my back. I, I've done it. I've been a Christian for a long time. And floating on your back in a swimming pool is pretty easy, right? But what about when the storms of life come? What about those, those waves that start washing over you? What about when that wind picks up? Why do you think Jesus was in a, there were several times He was in a boat. And, and one time he, walk, he walks out on the water, and Peter gets to walk out there to him. And then Peter looks at the wind and the waves, and he, start, and he immediately starts sinking. Why? Because he took his eyes off Jesus. Quit worrying about everything. Yes, the, the gate to life is narrow. You're, you're only going to... It's a single-file gate. You can't drag your, your spouse with you. You can't drag your boyfriend or your girlfriend or anything like that. Man, when we, when we meet Jesus... We're going to meet him one-on-one, -on -one, mano a mano, man-to-man. Are you ready for that? I would say that most of you either are ready or you're this close to being ready. And I'm going to tell you how to know if you're ready in just a few minutes. The gate to life is narrow. The road is difficult. It's not that it's difficult in that, like, you know, uh, trying to do something is difficult. It's the fact that we've just got to relax, open ourselves up, be vulnerable, depend upon God. That's what's difficult about it. And the last thing that Jesus says is He says, but the gateway to life is very narrow. We've talked about that. And He said the road is difficult. we talked about that. And only a few ever find it. Are you one of the few? Isn't that the question? I mean, because Jesus, I mean, if you believe in, in, in the Bible and you believe in Him as the Son of God, then, then we must say that He never made a mistake, that He was perfect. So if He said it, it's got to be the truth. And He says right here, only a few ever find it. Are you one of those few? Why do only a few find it? You know, just like trying to find that, that I would have never found that trail up that mountain on my own. 
But too many people are out there trying to find their own way to heaven. And it can't be done. God, Jesus is the only one that can show you where that's at. Now, you might be saying, well, I, you know, I don't try to find it on my own. You don't want to know what the scariest words I've ever heard supposed Christians say? Well, I'm a good person, so I know I'm going to heaven. That scares the fire out of me, because that's not true at all. God did not send His Son into this world to make bad men good. Let me repeat that. God did not send His Son into this world to make bad men good. He sent His Son into the world to make dead men alive. There's a difference. We try to be our own gods when we, when we try to determine what will get us to heaven. Well, I ain't never killed nobody, and so I must be a pretty good fella. And I mean, I've made mistakes like everybody else, but overall, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I helped a guy change a tire one time, so I'm going to get into heaven. You're probably not, to be honest with you. You're probably not. Not with that mindset. Jesus didn't die to make good men moral. He came to make dead men alive. Another reason that a few people that few people find this narrow trail is they're afraid of what their buddies are going to think. And you know what? If you are a Christian, then you know exactly what I mean because there's probably been some times that that you put yourself out there. And um, I mean, I, I'm just going to be honest, man. I had a best friend that lived a mile down the road. He was my best man in my wedding. And when I became a preacher, that all quit. Not that he was mad at me or anything, but, but I didn't get invited to the parties with all the beer drinking and stuff like that. Not because I was going to condemn anybody. I wasn't there to point fingers at anybody. But because it was inconvenient for everybody to tell their dirty jokes and get snockered whenever the preacher was standing there. So instead of quitting that behavior, it was easier just not to invite the preacher anymore. And I'm telling you right now that when you start following Jesus, truly start following Him, you are going to lose friends. You are absolutely going to lose friends. But that's okay. That's okay. Because in that loss, that very loss might be the thing that saves them in the end, is to see that you are willing to do what they were afraid to. Don't ever be afraid of what other people might think. Because if you were afraid of what other people might think, then you were afraid that they might actually see Christ in you. And that is the very thing that will save them. That's why only a few, pe- a, a few people, a few people, my, my wife would be laughing if she was here, a few people find it. They, they, they think that they're good enough of their own merits that they, that they, you know, compared to other people, they're pretty good fellas. That they'll get to heaven because of that. And, and then the other people are like, well, I'm not going to find it because I'm too worried about what my friends are going to think. And the last thing is they want to go around the tree. They don't want to go through the tree. They want to go around it. There were two trees in the Garden of Eden. Think about this. If you, if you think back, and for y'all that, that, that don't have that, that biblical background and everything, um, we believe here that, that, the, that the, the Bible is absolute truth. That just because we don't understand something of how something fits doesn't make the Bible wrong. It just means we don't understand it. But Adam and Eve, God created Adam, then He created Eve, and they lived in paradise. And in the middle of this garden, there were two trees. One was the tree of life, and one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said you cannot eat from one of those. The tree of life was, was, was eternal life. I mean, if you eat of the tree of life, you live forever. You could eat that one. 
He never said don't eat that one. He said don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for if you do, you will surely die. And see, the devil came in and he tempted who? Eve. Does that mean that Eve is weaker? Absolutely not. Let me put the why he tempted Eve. And I'm going to be really short with this. Guys, if you are a believer, if you have given your life to Christ, this question is for you. For those others that are kind of trying to make up your mind, just please listen. But guys, for those that are true Christians, if the devil walked up in human form, talked to 357 and put it to your temple and said, denounce God and worship me or I'm going to pull the trigger, what would you say? Pull the trigger, right? That's what we hope we would say. What if, for y'all guys... If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you've accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, and you ride for Him, what if the same situation happened, and the devil walked up in human form, cocked that gun, and put it up to your wife's head? But he told you, denounce God and follow me, or I'm going to pull the trigger. We know what we would like to say, but the situation just changed. Now, our decision doesn't just affect us, it affects the ones that we love. And Adam made a poor choice, because he chose to follow Eve, and eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil instead of following God. See, what he didn't understand is that if he would have said no, that gun would have misfired because God would have protected both of them. But he chose because the devil said, did God really say that you would die? Did God really say? Because surely if you eat from it, you will become like him. And they ate of it. Their eyes were opened. They saw that they were naked. They were afraid. They went and they hid from God. That is the result of sin. It was perfection up until then. But my point is, is that there was two trees in the Garden of Eden. There was the tree of life and there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of knowledge and good and evil was the law. The law was what was handed down from Moses, and it said, you have to do this if you want to be perfect. And not a single person on earth could do it. Only God's Son that was sent by His Father could fulfill the law. There was two trees in the Garden of Eden. There was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which depended on their own efforts, that it was a reward system or a punishment. You were either rewarded for doing it right or punished for doing it wrong. And guess what? Nobody claimed the prize except one person, and that was Jesus. But see... The tree of life is grace. You may freely eat of any tree. There's nothing that they had to do to go up and pick a piece of fruit off of it and eat it. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. And they couldn't pay it back. But yet they were free to eat from it. But so many times that tree stands right in the gateway of that narrow trail. And you've got to go through that tree of life in order to enter heaven. And that tree of life is Jesus Christ and His covenant, His new covenant that opened up the gate to heaven for all of us through the shedding of His blood and the breaking of His body. By His stripes we are healed. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. How do you get to heaven? If your mortal body was to perish right now, where would you go? Because there's only two alternatives. Here's the bare bones fact. And if everything has just gone right over your head with all the talk of law and grace and floating on back and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Let me sum everything up. There is only one way to eternal life. And that is if you have Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you live and ride for Him. That's it. 
Now, I've asked a lot of Christians that question, and 99% of them get it right. And then I ask them this question, how do you get to hell? And they say, well, if you kill somebody, or if you didn't ask forgiveness for all your sins, and if you didn't do this, and if you did that. No, absolutely not. There's only one way into heaven. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll go. Guaranteed. No ifs, no ands, no buts. There's only one way into hell. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the only qualification for both. There's going to be a great sorting, and Ty talked about that not too long ago. It's the separation of the sheep and goats. You can go read about it in Revelations. Everybody's coming down the alleyway, and God's going to sort us all. The sheep, He's going to be looking for His Son. If He sees His Son in our lives, we go to heaven. If He don't find Him, out. And that's just it. There's only one way into heaven, faith in Jesus Christ. And if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, then I'm sorry. There's nothing that you can do to earn Him. You did nothing. You, you don't deserve Him. And you can't pay it back. It's grace, people. You just have to believe it and receive it. And the fancy church word for believing and receiving that is faith. Do you have faith in the Son of God? Do you have the courage to say, you know what, I do believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Now, I understand that there's nothing I did to deserve it, and I can't earn it, and there's definitely nothing I can do to pay it back. I just want to live for Him because I know that He died for me. It really is that simple. I read a Bible dictionary, and it said salvation is this right here. It said that salvation is the process where we become uh, reconciled with God through His work. We talked about that. If you, if you don't remember that, go back and start at the very beginning. Go online. Go to uh, Something for Nothing, Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, Part 4. We talked about reconciliation, how God reconciled Himself to us. He made it right for us. And then we talked about how we become sons of God. That he adopts us as His own children with the same benefits as His own Son had. And then reconciliation. Oh, I mean, reconciliation, and then we are adopted. And then we get righteousness. He took our sins and everything that was bad about us and He was punished for it. And everything that He was good about, we received. And then we receive forgiveness. And then we receive salvation. You put those four things together. The process of the reconciliation, the redemption, the righteousness, and the forgiveness. That is salvation. That is eternal life. And what do you have to do to get it? Just believe and receive what His Son gave. It really is that simple. Don't let anybody else tell you any different. If they are, they're confused and they're believing the devil. I'm not judging them. I'm just saying that the Bible says that there's nothing you can do to get it, earn it, or pay it back. So quit trying. Are you tough enough to find that narrow trail? He is using me to point the way. And for those of y'all like Chuck that got up here today, like Jared that's been here before, Doug, Brooke, all of us, Sonny, we're pointing the way. And it's not us doing it. It's Jesus through us that's doing it. Don't leave here today without telling Jesus that you want to ride for Him. That you want to be who He has called you to be. Because I promise you one thing. There ain't not a one, there won't be one. There will be a lot of good people in hell. But there won't be a single sissy in heaven. Because what I'm asking you to do is takes guts. Many will search for it. But few will find it. Only those strong enough to give themselves up for His sake will find it, and I hope that's you. Let's go to God in prayer. God, I thank You for Your message today. God, I'm not going to stand up here and talk more about what You've already said. God, give these people the courage to stand up and be counted among those whose names are written in the book of life. That one of Your greatest 
gifts that you gave us besides your son is you gave us a choice you will not choose for us. We have to choose. And we've got two choices, to believe and receive your son or to deny him. God, I pray right now that those that are on the edge or that haven't made that decision will do so today. It's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. Mr. Dave.